0: I plan to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Lord, I was called Ditch Digger Man, aiming for a living and doing the best I can. Discovered entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. And I became the CEO, man. Are you ready
1: to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who'll be telling their amazing, rags-to-riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires, many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school and with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years have generated over 1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this, if you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you wanna be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and from many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Welcome to Ditch Digger CEO again. And uh, the, the most fun I have with these is when I can interview somebody. Are you on, Dean? Everybody on? Because I, I got a blank face from somebody here. I'm on. Okay, that's the most important yeah. thing. All right. So the, the most fun is that, you know, through these, through these Ditch Digger CEO podcast episodes, I've, I've uh, interviewed some really good friends. And uh, that's 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 the most fun when I can interview a friend that I love so much that that I know is uh, your heart's in the game. It's the most fun. And Dean, you're one of those guys. I we've grown to be good friends over the last ten years, I guess. And uh, your wife, great friends with my wife. You and I great great friends. And uh, it, it's it's been one of my most blessed uh, friendships. So I really appreciate you and who you are and everything you do. But. How much fun is it when I can take a guy like you that I know has is, is, is got so much to tell and, 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 and so, such great experience when it comes to business building um, that I can have on, on this episode, on, on an episode. And so that's who you are. You're, you're a leader of men and, uh, and, and, a, and a great, great character of a person. So uh, all in all, it's, it's just gonna be a lot of fun. So so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dig in and uh, and just start asking a lot of goofy questions. And some of you might say I'm not answering that. Others you might say I can answer that <laughs> But but we're gonna have a lot of fun. So yeah. What we like to like to do, Dean, is uh, you know kind of tell you who who we are and and, and uh, what you do today. But we want to go backwards too and kind of talk about you know what made Dean the, the Dean that he is today and what, what kind of uh, how were you up uh, what, what what shaped your paradigm, right? How did you right. become a guy that likes to lead people and all the things that you do? So start out with, tell us about, tell us about your business. I know a lot about it, but tell, tell uh, our audience about what you do, Dean, and, and, and who you serve and how you serve them well.
2: Yeah, no, thanks Gary. And, and, uh, first and foremost, really excited to be here and, uh, and the opportunity. I mean, uh, the friendship that, uh, our families have forged has been great, and uh, it started uh, through a business connection, and uh, and has gone on a real on a you know on a real personal level. So I, I really appreciate that, and, and excited to be here um, uh, today. I'm the president of National Lease. We are a uh, uh, truck leasing organization throughout the United States and Canada. Have uh, just over 900 locations, and uh, uh, across both uh, both areas leasing trucks, providing financial services and maintenance services to trucks to private fleets um, you know, throughout the U.S. and uh, and Canada. I always kind of say we're kind of set up like the ace hardwares of the world. Um, so our, uh, you know, we call them members within the National East. They're about 140 family run truck run on leasing organizations and National Lease provides them the ability as entrepreneurs to compete with the riders and the Penske's, which is our big competition um, in the in the truck leasing world. So uh, it's a real passion for a family-run business. Uh, it's a, uh, uh, I guess you kind of call it the the American dream. I've got, I've, I guess I've kind of always fashioned myself a little bit of the underdog, if you will. Um, and uh, and going up and uh, and being able to compete with the big guys and provide a great level of service to our customers is what drives me every day and providing opportunities for our members our members employees and the employees of national lease as well um, to uh, you know we really take that family that commitment to family type of service and uh, and and uh, and a culture um, you know, to you know to light here so we've got all the advantages we like to think of being a big box high volumes uh, locations across to serve anywhere throughout the United States and Canada. But we do that with a small business family run business type of mentality. And, uh, and that's really kind of our go to market.
1: Cool. Now, who who are your, uh, target customers, Dean? And, and, uh, you know, how do you differentiate from anybody else as you serve them?
2: Yeah. So our target customer, you know, for the most part, I say, you know, they're a private fleet, um, that, uh, you know, where transportation is a necessary evil, uh, it's not their core business. Uh, they may make, you know, they may make steel. They might uh, uh, food and be in the food and beverage industry. You see a Walgreens truck. You know, our members service the, the Walgreens, the Mondelez's of the world. So these aren't trucking companies or transportation companies, but they want their own name on the side of the truck, uh, but they don't want to be a trucking company. And so that's who we lease trucks to. Uh, I want to say about forty percent of the private fleet trucks across the U.S are actually leased from people like us, Ryder, Penske, uh, you know, and a couple of other major players, you know, in our, uh, in our industry. So, um, so that's, you know, that's really our typical, you know, that's, that's our typical customer that we serve.
1: So you're kind of like the Ace Hardware True Value model, right, of, of, uh, of the industry exactly you know i think there's such
2: a uh, you know there, there's a lot of value and you have to be able to compete uh, you know on a scale especially when you get into procurement and, and and pricing and acting as a big gpo for these folks is is one of the core things that national lease provides as well as you know, putting together that network that allows that truck to be serviced you know from new york to los angeles and and anywhere in between uh, but then also doing that in a way where there's a family run you know, uh, ability to service a customer, you know, that might, you know, be able to customize a solution rather than a one size fits all, you know, operating a refrigerated straight truck in Miami, Florida, it's completely different than operating one in the same operation in San Francisco, California. And that level of service and knowledge of their local marketplaces, you know, I think gives us a huge advantage. And, And the fact, you know, we always say, people who make the promises at national lease they're the ones who've got their name on the side of the truck and they're the ones who are going to be there you know we're not you know people aren't moving up in the system and and and, and getting promoted from one place to another you know our folks you know our folks take a lot of pride in that and they're involved in their communities
1: so how many locations locations across america dean are there uh over 920 today uh well Uh,
2: in the u.s in the u.s it's probably closer to about 840, and then about 80 locations, I want to say, throughout, the, throughout Canada.
1: And how many do you oversee from your office?
2: So we, uh, you know, we, again, kind of under the, the Ace Hardware type of model, you know, you know, people could call them franchises, you can call them dealers, again, we call them members. Um, so we really oversee, and we do for all those folks, I like to say what they can't do or can't do as well for themselves. So they run their business. Yep. Um, but they buy their tires you know, through us. They buy their parts through us. They buy their toilet paper through us. They buy, um, uh, they, many of them buy their trucks through us. Uh, they also have to meet minimum standards as to be able to provide service for customers, how their shops are operated, uh, as well as making sure one of the most important things about national leases is, is reciprocal road service. So we could have a member, um, you know, our friend mutual friend, Alan Grain uh and grain grain is a part of national lease and when alan's trucks are his customer trucks he's based here in chicago but if they're in st louis and break down you know their customer expects that truck to be handled you know right away and get you know get back out on the road and our member down there is required to take drop what they're doing take care of that other national lease members truck get him you know get him either fixed it on the road or get him into a substitute truck so that they're out making their deliveries to their customers um And, you know, so it's really about, you know, it's really about small business people supporting each other so that they, you know, so that they can compete across the board. And we manage all the national accounts. So a company like Mondelez, I want to say we've got 21 locations with them today. They sign one contract. They sign it with us at the corporate level. We then award it to each one of our members in those areas and they operate the business as as they know how. So we really try and stay out of the way and, and, you know, and understand that they know how to operate their business in their communities. Uh, but we're here, you know, our, our our mantra is we're here to support them in, you know, in, in helping them grow and
1: compete. So you have, you have 920 different locations that, that you support. Yep. And they're all kind of entrepreneurial, right? I mean, they're not just like, it's not like you're, you know, this is your franchise. This is the way you must do business on and on. They're all kind of entrepreneurial. They just have to make sure they hit on, on the points that you may want them to hit on, Right.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. We take a lot of pride in the independence of our of our members. So we really stay out of their business, um, you know, except that, you know, except to minimum standards. And and then we really you know, have to prove our value for them. I mean, they don't have to buy anything from us. Um, but, you know, certainly, you know, hey, if I can take if I can take, you know, the eighty five thousand trucks and sixty five thousand trailers that we have in our system and take that to the Michelins and the Bridgestones and, and those folks um, I better be able to negotiate, you know, a better deal. Um, and, uh, uh, and that's what we're really, you know, we're really here to serve them.
1: Sure. That's awesome. Okay. Let's, let's go back in time a little bit. I want to, I want to, uh, you know, who's, who's Dean Vicka, you know, what, how how do you, how'd you, uh, you know, learn to think like a leader, you know, who are your mentors? We like to go into all that. So again, kind of explain your upbringing, dude, you know, where, you know, where you grew up, what your family looked like, uh, you know who yeah. you thought of back back in the day as somebody that you looked up to that, that gave you kind of part, parts of your leadership mentality you have today.
2: Yeah, well, I think maybe you and me have talked about this in the past, and we share a little bit of the same kind of upbringing. In that, I don't think there were a lot of teachers, um, you know, in my uh, in my past who really predicted any kind of a uh, leadership. Maybe more, you know, you know, maybe more some other uh, some other roles than than where I'm at today. But uh, I was lucky to have uh, you know a lot of. A lot of great people taking interest in me and uh, and, and helped me guide me, you know, along the way. So, I was born in Southern California. Uh, my father was in the Marine Corps, and uh, uh, we ended up uh, moving fairly quickly. And uh, you know, I'll say we we landed in Wheaton, Illinois, in the early 1970s, and that's where I was really raised. Um, great community to grow up in. I uh, had a brother, uh, my brother Kurt. And uh, sister Jennifer, who was about eight years younger than I am, and uh, you know we had a we had a great upbringing, we had a great life. My father was in education, was a teacher, became a principal, and then uh, and then worked in the administrative offices of school districts uh, in Illinois. And my mother was stay at home, and she you know she raised us. I had one care in the world I say at that time, and it was sports. Um, sports kept me. Uh, it probably kept you know I would say. Uh, I got my grades because I needed to be eligible on Friday night. Cause that's all that, you know, that's all that really mattered to me. So most of, you know, if I, if I think of any leadership skills and things that I take in business that came from, you know, I'd, I'd say from, from that age up through, through the end of high school, it all came from sports. It came from coaches and good experiences and bad experiences that I have had. But I, I certainly learned what it was like to be a part of a team, to be responsible to somebody and, probably the thing that drives me the most is, uh, is competing. I've always had an absolute love to compete. And, uh, uh, I think I hate losing more than I like winning. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if that's always the right way to do it or, or things, but I mean, if if I really dug into my soul and said, what drives me every day, it's a fear of failure and it's a fear of losing. And it's a, it's, it's a hatred of what that feeling is like. And I still get it. Even if I hear one of our salespeople come back and talk that you know, we lost a two truck deal. Um, it still bothers me because I know there's somebody else out there celebrating that they just got a two truck deal and uh, and and I want to know what we could have done to you know to do better and, and earn that business um, so um, really uh, I you know the biggest one I have to thank you know my father really taught me a lot about discipline um, and response personal responsibility um, and my mother had an unwavering belief in me and uh, one that I don't know if my father always shared and my uh, I was sure my mother talked my father into letting me go to college. Uh, my dad went and fought too you know, fought over in Vietnam for the right to go to college. Um, I thought it was something you just kind of got. It was the next step. Right. Maybe it was part of growing up in Wheaton, Illinois. He let me know that that wasn't the case. Uh, but my mom went to bat for me and gave me a shot. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I remember I almost, uh, I got as low as you could go in college. My first semester, I had a 1.4, three C's, the D and an F at Illinois state. I blew out. I needed a 2.2 the next semester to stay in school. They were going to kick me out. And, uh, in Dean Vicka fashion, I got a 2.2. Uh, <laughs> and th- 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 thank God I took, a basket- <laughs> I took a basketball class. Um, and so I barely stayed in. And then that summer I worked, uh, building in-ground pools, uh, for a company called the floor pool company. And, uh, and I'll never forget I'm having a blank on what his first name was, but you know, you want to talk about a guy who went to work every day from six in the morning till seven at night. Uh, I really learned the value of, of hard work from him. Um, and, uh, you know, tying rebar, hauling, concrete from a street, you know, into somebody's backyard, things of that nature. It was, it was really tough, uh, 70 hours a week, uh, really learned the value of it. And I also learned that that's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, so I went back to school. I had a, uh, you know, I figured out I wasn't ever going to make money playing sports and, uh, I put my nose to the grindstone and, uh, you know, I don't think I ever had lower than a 3.0, uh yeah. You no, know, hey
1: Dean, hey Dean, I'll interrupt you in a second. It's kind of funny. You know, we never we've talked a lot about a lot of things. Never talked about the pool thing because uh I, I work for a guy doing in ground pools um and, and wheeling, you know, wheelbarrowing concrete from the street to the backyard yeah. pool decks, right? Yeah and uh you know yeah, it, it, that, that's uh that's quite a quite a quite a uh, quite a business and a lot of work, right? It's nothing easy about that. And you know you tip a bear, you tip a uh wheelbarrow over with uh, ready mix in the, in, the, in the thing, you you know, catch a little bit of hell. Right. And uh, well, we, we actually sure had the, a rule for the next couple of days until the next uh, ready mix truck shows up. Yeah.
2: Well, and number one, I still get the shakes when I hear a concrete truck coming down the street because that, you know, I mean, you uh, know uh, what that's like, then if you poured it, cause you know, as he would say, Hey, it's game time and the concrete doesn't wait for anybody. And he'd scream that in our heads all the time. And I remember the first week I dumped three barrels and, uh, um, and uh, each time you dumped a barrel, that means you owed a 12-pack for the crew on Friday at the end of the day. And in college, that was a lot of money, you know, um, yeah. you know, to, uh, you know especially <laughs> at that time. So you didn't like to do it. You were certainly embarrassed uh, by the end was of it, 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 it.
1: Was it Pabst or was it, uh, old, or was it Blue Ribbon, uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon, or was it Old Milwaukee? <laughs> what would you usually buy for the guys? I was
2: an old style guy, believe it or not. Old then. style, there
1: you go. Old style. So uh, old Chicago <laughs> beer,
2: right? Um, you know, used to sneak those in at the old Comiskey Park. Um, yeah, yeah. So that was my first beer of many to come. But, but yeah, that's... Um,
1: but tiptoeing, you ever, you're doing uh, in-ground pools, too, where you got to tiptoe around the outside of that, that uh, in-ground pool with a wheelbarrow, and you dump it in that thing, man, it's it's really a pain in the neck to get you out. You had
2: to do that. You had to put, you know, I mean, usually it wasn't the safest operation, right? You had a 2 by 4 or, a, you know, a, a, a 2 by 8 or whatever, and you had to put that there and keep your feet and go across and dump. But in the middle, man, I you know, I, I remember those uh, you know, days, and by the, the end of the summer, I was great at it. Yeah, you, know, you find out you don't need to muscle it, right? It just, you know, yeah. it's just like anything else, it's all about balance and
1: keeping it's all about balance. And uh,
2: you're right, uh, so, fun stuff though, but uh, yeah, the first week was uh, tough, and then I, you know, and then I, I the next job that really shaped me, and it might have even put me in here, is I uh, I ended up driving a meat truck then for the next four years over breaks with the Larocco Meat Company, small family run. Um, meat company in Broadview, Illinois. And I really learned how, uh, I, I learned a lot about how the world worked and, uh, you know, picking up orders, uh, in the morning, going down to the market, Fulton street market, you know, when it used to be a market, not, not what it yeah. is today. It's a place of great restaurants and, and delivering to then different restaurant owners. It was an independent job. I had a bunch of cash in my pocket in the morning I came back, I had to get my cash straight with the owner when I left. And, uh, I learned a lot about how the world worked, uh, you know, in the, uh, you know, on the south and the west sides of Chicago and some of the suburbs there. So,
1: so did, what type of license did you have to have Dean? Well like, I think I said, was, I was saying at 16 years old, my da- I got my license and my dad told him I was a, we we're a farming family and, and I was supposed to get my C- CDL or C license at the time until I was, uh, 18 and I got yeah. my C license at 16 instead. But, uh, what, what license did you have back then?
2: I want to say that's probably what it was. I was driving a, you know, anywhere from a, you know, a refrigerated van to a, you know, 18 to 24 foot refrigerated straight truck. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I got it. Um, you know, what would that have been?
1: 1990, 1991. Uh, so how old were you then? You're, you're uh, what, 18, 19? Are you? I would have been about 20 years old. 20 yeah. years old. Okay. Cool.
2: 20 years old.
1: That no, was kind of cool to have, have that C, that CDL license in your pocket, right? It kind of felt like uh, you know, it was kind of special, didn't you? No, it
2: was uh, you know, it was intimidating, you know, right at first because I was never around you know heavy equipment that kind of stuff. I mean, um, I remember Tony Larocco had given me the opportunity. Uh, it was actually his son was now running it, uh, uh, Michael Larocco, who I'm still friends with. I still go get all my meat um, uh, from those guys. And uh, he put me in a truck for a week, gave me an Illinois Rules of the Road book and said, figure this out. So he gave me a Rules of the Road. I don't know how much of this we want to share. You guys can figure it out. But you know, as I said, I want to stay out of trouble. But I'll, I'll share the story with you, Gary. Um, and we'll decide how much we want to put on the air. Um, I had a week to read the book. I didn't want to let Tony LaRocco down because he'd given me this great opportunity. And uh, I studied it you know, more than I studied any class yet at, at Illinois State to make sure I passed it. And I watched John, uh, John Palucci at that time, right, driving the truck and taught me some of the things. And then uh, the next Monday, they sent me down to the Melrose Park driving facility to go take my test. I was told to go meet some guy. I went to go meet him. And he said, you're Tony's guy. I said, yeah. And I sat down, they took a picture and they gave me a CDL.
3: Um,
2: <laughs> all that all <laughs> studying for nothing, but actually for something, right? Definitely for something. Um, But, uh, you know, gotten the thing and, uh, you know, my first day driving it, I sideswiped somebody on Fulton Street. Uh, Accidentally, I thought I was done. Uh, That guy, I don't think had insurance because he took off and it was my fault. You know, I went back. But then, uh, yeah, you know, knock on wood, I have not been in an accident since, you know, I learned how to use gears. That's I awesome. learned how to use mirrors and trust mirrors, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a great job. I still say it was the favorite job I ever had in my life. It was driving that meat truck, going to different restaurants, and uh, to That's be awesome. nineteen years old and entrusted with all that on your own was it was, was was a lot of fun.
1: So I don't think I told you this, Dean, but my dad expected me to have a license. So, you know, he had a little 5 yard dump truck and wanted me to have a license by the time I was you know sixteen years old for that, and and he didn't realize I was supposed to have one until I was eighteen back then. But bottom line is that he had me on the ice and um, on Pestecki Lake hauling sand and, uh, and dirt, you know, frozen sand and dirt basically to the islands where they needed fill. So I'm driving a, 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 a five-speed uh, high-low uh, international 1971 uh, international dump truck, uh, 15 years old across the ice delivering material. Uh, he's had another truck, he's delivering material too. But then uh, you hear the ice cracking underneath, you know, it's, it's safe, it's like a foot thick at the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's still a little scary as a 15-year-old kid that's where I learned to drive this, you know, the stick efficiently. And, and, uh, you know, it was kind of, kind of tricky driving through, you know, uh, areas where it's icy and, tra- and you know, track You lose your traction on the ice. Sometimes you spin over right the truck. It's kind of crazy, but it, yeah. that's where so I you were a nice road trucker. Event, but... Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, and it was actually, it was, it was scary, but fun and I'll never forget it because I was ready at 16 to actually take the driver's test. I read the book, like you're saying and all that and, right. and, and passed. but, you know, my my thing that my dad got was uh, his 16 year old kid got a uh, got a CDL license when he really wasn't supposed to. Right? <clears throat> kind of through the same thing that that wink and maybe 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 gave the guy 20 bucks. I'm not sure, right? But uh, I don't, I I don't know. Today. He'd probably tell me that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, don't know, I don't don't know. I don't know nothing, right? But uh, yeah, I, anyway, I learned I, that.
2: I, I learned that at the LaRocco Meat Company too. I didn't see nothing. I didn't hear, that. <laughs> I <see> nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hear nothing. I see nothing. I see nothing. But, yeah, but when, that, when you think about that, D, you think about that, Dean, though, you know what, when I, you know, so you and I both worked in the fields that we, that we serve as uh, leading in nowadays, right? And, and it's, it's a blessing to be able to do that because, you know, it's easy for us to talk about trucks on the job, talk about equipment on the yeah. job, talk about how the job gets done. Hey, man, can I drive? You know, I, I'll go on the job. Can I operate that piece of equipment? Can I jump on that truck? And, and, yeah. and your team, your team members really respect the fact that you've been there and done it. And so again, a lot of people don't have the opportunity as leaders to actually get dig in and be, and, and be on the team. You know, you've done it before. It's kind of cool.
2: It's you know, it's a lot of <laughs> fun. It gives. I think it gives a, a great perspective. I always say at the end of the day, I know what it's like to be on the side of the road with a truck full of meat, broken down in a bad neighborhood, in a in a uh, in a pocket full of cash, um, oh. and and. And uh, you want to make sure that you have somebody out there, a support system backing <laughs> you up and taking care of you. And uh, um, having been that guy, I've never forgot that. And, uh, you know, even if, uh, you know, so anytime one of those guys, that's, that's really who we're serving. You know, we're serving the mechanics or we're serving the drivers. Mm-hmm. I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, I mean, we, you know, rubber meets the road. That's our industry, right? And uh, and that's really how we operate. You know, that's how we operate. And that's the promise we give to our customers is that their employee, their family member is going to get taken care of. Their customer is going get, to get taken care of because anybody can sell you a truck um, in our business. It's the service. It's, it's sure. making sure that those, you know, you, we, you know, our customers make promises and, and uh, you know, and it, to their customers on deliveries and things of that nature but you know your, your your employees need to know that they're being taken care of and and need to have the tools to deliver on that promise right and uh absolutely you know and you, that you know uh, that drives us every day
1: yeah when you're sat in their seat you understand that that you know the challenge they have it's a lot easier for you from, the, from as a leader to, to be able to drive those things down to the to the field where they get you know taken care of better hopefully right
2: yeah that's that's the idea
1: so, so your your dad, your mom, amazing mentors. Just because you know they they love you and they're and they're you know great people. Um, you know, it, it sounds like re- very similar to mine. You know, my mom was always supportive, and my dad was you know um, you know always the guy you in the butt and and uh, yeah. I tell you 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 know, you were worth a darn when you probably weren't. And and uh, either way, but kind of similar. You know, tough tough uh, tough father, uh, a loving mother is a great combination in my opinion for a family. Right. Yeah. So was so did the Rocco, uh, the pool guy, kind of a person you kind of looked up to, the Roccos of the, yeah. the world you looked up to a little bit in a different way, took their good, took the best of them, and, and maybe, maybe in you today? You know, I think I probably learned as much from the people I didn't like, and, and
2: maybe, you know, in some of the rough experience I, I had uh, from the other ones, too. And I had plenty who picked me up who, who, you know, thank God, saw something in me, and they helped me. But I also learned a lot from the ones who, um, you know, I hated Mr. LaFleur <laughs> and, and that guy just worked and it was just a pile driver. And, uh, and, you know, you know, I think, you know, uh, you know, I remember, you know, boy, we'd be driving to a job and he wouldn't pay us for the time we're on the job, but maybe two hours to get there and stuff like that. And I never really kind of felt like he had all of our best interests. You know, he was just focused on building the pool and building his family. And, um, but I learned, you know, I learned how to persevere, you know, I didn't quit uh, you know, my father wouldn't let me quit. Um, but, but I didn't quit and we went through it. I, you know, I think my biggest basketball experience was, you know, a negative experience where I really was on a different side from the coach. And, uh, and I learned at that time, well, he was still going to be the one that decides who's going to play. And, and I fought him. I didn't quit, but I fought him all year. Uh, but I still, I'm 52 years old. I still regret, you know, the year I was 17. And I thought I should have been playing a lot more than I, than I was, but it taught me how to, um, something that I use and you know, that's really helped. I think in my career, I, you know, I would say, you know, I, it really taught me how to outlast, um, people. And I think sometimes people make a decision and they leave and they may have a bad boss and there's a lot on LinkedIn about who your boss is and who it's not. I think one thing that maybe we miss is, is the perseverance, um, you know, in this, you know, in this time and, and the value of saying, uh, you know, I've had a couple of times where some bosses came in and I didn't really like who my next boss was going to be. Um, but I kind of just developed that mentality. I was just going to outlast them because this is where this is where I was, you know, this was home. This is what I wanted to do. And, and I knew I was good at it. And Quite frankly, I probably thought I was a little bit better than they would. And, and, you know, I, I would stand through the test of it. So, you know, those were some big things. And my, my, you know, that, that would have come from my father. My father was, you know, you take responsibility. You quit. If you say you're going to do something, you know, you're done well. You're going to well do, do it. You damn well <laughs> better do it. And, uh, you know, that sense of personal responsibility, I always say personal responsibility, um, self-confidence and perseverance. If I meet somebody that has those three characteristics, um, they're going to go somewhere. You know, they're going to go somewhere in life. I don't care what their background is and, you know, where they got a degree. But if I can say get those, those, say I can,
1: those three things again.
2: Sense of personal responsibility. It's not somebody else's fault. You take ownership for it, right? Um, perseverance. You're not going to quit. Um, and, uh, and number three, self-confidence. Uh, and I think that third one's the toughest one to get to, right but um, uh, if you have those three things and what you're doing you're gonna you know I don't think I've ever met anybody who wasn't uber successful who had those three qualities
1: right uh, I'll agree yeah no doubt I mean that that's uh um, and like and to have all three it takes time sometimes right to, to have the confidence that you can you can you can compete or you can get things done and you can actually lead right you, have yeah. to have some success can't be all failure you got to have some success right to, to have that self-confidence it takes time sometimes
2: hey um, sometimes you know you got to fake it till you make it right and uh you know and uh, and sometimes i don't you know i still don't today right you know sometimes i walk into the office and we go through and we develop a strategy and we say whatever or a problem presents itself and you want to you know you certainly want to lead with self-confidence and then sometimes you go into your office and you shut the door and you go oh boy <laughs> you know, <laughs> I hope I got that one right. Or, or I don't know if I did. Um, and that's, you know, but that's when the mentors come back into play, right? That's when, you know, especially how we met, I can call a Gary Rabine or call somebody who's in that same role, understands that position and say, Hey, I got a problem. Um, yeah. And I don't know exactly how to deal with it. And, uh, you know, and those mentors that you have, you know, you need to keep those lines of communication open. And, and how, about,
1: how about your responsibility seems like a, an easy thing, but boy, you know, it, it's those people you see that when things go wrong, they're standing up and saying, uh, "My bad." I, and then you see people around yeah. them that might be the biggest problems—not themselves, but they're coming. They're they're coming. Say, it's I, I got my bad, my mm-hmm. fault. I'm responsible for this, right? Yeah. When people do that. They don't understand the value they create for a leader to, to be able to have some another leader in their team or some other team that's on their way to leadership would say that that takes responsibility for something that really you know was not all their fault. But boy, that yeah. you know what? They cared, and they really—they said, "I got this. We're going to fix it." And man, that's a person you say, "I want that person on my team forever." Right? Yeah. Um, re- responsibility seems like an easy thing, but it's really not. I mean, I, I look at so many leaders at the highest levels, and uh, I—you know—I I even look at you know the last couple presidents we've had in our country. And I you mean, know, we have to get political, but both presidents yeah. we've had in the last two the last uh, three terms my opinion you know that they're, they're they're smart guys right and they and they but they but they seem to take the credit for everything that's good they think is good and then they try they seem to push off when there's bad things that happen it's not them right and again yeah. so it's, it's amazing that in our country we elect people that and again I one person I have to tell you who but one person I, res, I, I respect is you know overall that the results and the other person not but overall doesn't matter both of them or pro- yeah. I, kind of I, I guys, not not we guys, right? But me guy, I, me guys, I guys, whatever I say, and and yeah. they and they and they, they would they would they would take credit for good things, and they would, and they would not take credit for things that went wrong. And I just don't see that as leadership, and and, and I, I can't, I don't get how that at the time the highest levels of leadership sometimes we have this where you don't see that 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 re, that responsible leader that, that takes takes one for his team because he knows he he's leading the team, so he should. Yeah. Right or or gives the credit to his team when things go well because they probably had most of, most of the the, uh, the results were in their hands right most the the yeah. success was because of them right and yeah. and great leadership is that in my opinion and, and and we don't see enough of it but when you do see it holy cow right man I want that person on my team forever right boy you see it you
2: know it right and, and 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 I couldn't agree with you more on on some of the leadership at least you know from the you know not getting political but from the political view of uh, of the country and I've got, you know, hours of what my theories are on for that and and, and things of that nature. But, you know, when you have that kind of a special leader and, you know, and I think, you know, we have a lot of them in the business community and in places of of that nature that get up and say, Hey, yeah, it comes, you know, or, you know, we had, there there used to be a guy, right. It was Harry S Truman, right. The buck stops here. That's it. You got to take that mentality. And if you're going to lead your organization, that's, that's the one you got to have. Now you got to have processes and things in place to hold people accountable. Sure. Um, but you know, if, if something failed, the team failed, you know, it's, you know, we win like a team, we lose like a team and, and it, it's our job as leaders to find uh, the right processes and we're not going to be right all the time. You know, I can't even tell you how many times I'm wrong every day. Um, uh, right. But we take accountability for it. We take responsibility for it. We fix it and we move on. Um, you know, again, every, you know, losing's okay. Uh, you should never be satisfied with it. And it's, I don't want to say it's okay, but you know, you, you lose, you eat it and you move on. And, and, fail, you it, and, and you do it and fail fast and uh and figure out what went wrong and go make sure you know go go make sure it doesn't happen again
1: and right and, that, and that's where you know that's your perseverance comes in right it, it's that, you know you take responsibility and then and you have that perseverance no man you know what we got our teeth kicked in but we're gonna we, we, we've here's what we learned here are the things we learned through getting our butts kicked right yeah. here are the things we're gonna do differently in the future to make sure it doesn't happen again right and that's perseverance getting up Getting back on your feet, getting back in the fight, whatever that fight is, and, and then and then you know doing your best to learn from the mistakes in the past because you took responsibility, right? Yeah. If, you if you don't take responsibility, you don't learn. And I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of this as much as anybody, right? Once in a while, come on, I I didn't do anything wrong. I it's exactly right. how I to do it all over again, right? And then yeah. you think about it and think about it. You know, when you have a great spouse or a great friend that holds you accountable. You know, they get you thinking like, oh, man, maybe I, I trust that friend, that spouse. And they said that I did that. Maybe I did. Yeah. Right. And eventually you think about it and say, dang, I, you know, what? and and, and, and then I believe that, you know, with responsibility, if you take responsibility comes this, this, the lessons learned from the mistakes and, and that's where perseverance can take over. Right. I, you know, I, you know, all three, you know, they
2: really tie together well. Right. And they, they almost have to come in a certain order, which is kind of what you're getting at, I think. And And I agree with you. Uh, because the last one is self confidence, right? And self confidence doesn't come without wins. Uh, you can yeah. fake it, and and uh, and I can. And and some people have said, uh, you know, some people, my family, my sister, right, she'll say, "Boy, you've always had the self confidence, and I've done it." I said, I've been lying and faking it for for years." <laughs> I said, I'm I'm fifty two years old now. I said, "You know what? I think I do have a little bit now, but it came from wins, and it was usually little wins that you build up on top of each other, and then you sure. you find out. You know, it's one of the great things about experiences." Is, you know, you, you you know, a lot of times now there's not as many things, you know, not counting COVID. Right. But there's not a lot of things that I haven't seen yet before. I've been through ups and downs. I've been through recessions. I've been through, you know, you know, bull markets and, you know, in great times and bad times. And we're in a real cyclical industry in transportation. So, uh, yeah. You know, so you learn how to handle those things and and you see something. And and once you have these wins, you know, and and they have to be real wins, right? So you really have to have taken personal responsibility. You really have to have fought through it because, you know, when you got credit for something and you didn't do anything, you just kind of fell on it. You don't get any self-confidence from that. You you might, you know, take some accolades and some glory, but it didn't build anything for you. But, you know, when you fought through those hard times. Um, you know, that that builds something and that builds confidence that, hey, you know, whether it's, you know, something new, like we're all dealing with right now, uh, you know, you, you come back and say, hey, I've been through tough times before and, it, you know, it's going to get, be- you know, it's going to get better. We just need to build, you know, you know pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off and, and, and build yeah.
1: up for it. I think, you know, as we, as, we, as we go through these experiences of life, hopefully we gain some wisdom, right? And that, and that wisdom, hopefully, in our, our, our past experience, uh, you know, gives us that self-confidence to know that, you know, we're going to – we make decisions. We're going to hopefully weigh out our past experience with other people's experience and, and make the, the – the, the, the decision has the best odds of the success, right? Right. And if we can, if we can do that more often because of our, our wisdom over the course of our lives – that's a, that's a good thing. And I think that's, you know, that's the most important thing. As you we, as we make mistakes, you, you, you chalk one up for, for, for that, that mistake and say, okay, we're the lessons we learned. And then in those lessons, the, the, next, the, next, the next decision you make based on that similar situation is going to be a lot better, right? Yeah. And, and that's where self-confidence comes in. And, um, you know, if, if, if you know that you're out for the best interest of the team, you know that you're going to take responsibility for mess-ups, for, mess for screw-ups, right? you know that you're not gonna take all the credit for the wins, man, that, that comes across as self-confidence from anybody around you, right? Some people that don't get it might say, dang, that guy lost, he, took, you know, he got his butt kicked again, right? People around that are close know it's the team, part members of the team, you know, together with that leader had a failure, right? And the leader takes yeah. responsibility. but then, So the people closest to that person "No, that person, I'd I, I run through a wall for that person, right? compared to the other type of person that, you know, that once in a while we run across, unfortunately, will will yeah. we'll have very, very, uh, you know, very tough odds they become a true leader, right? So, so, again, I love those. I love those three values. Right? I, you, I mean, what do you call them values or actions or whatever, man, I, I, I love it. It's yeah, perfect.
2: yeah. It's just, you know, hey, if I did anything, the three elements of success, right? I, I, cause I've yet to meet the person that I thought had those three things that wasn't successful. And if I'm interviewing somebody or looking for somebody to be on my team, why I'm really looking for those things. And if, if somebody's got, you know, at least at the very least, they've got the, the sense of personal responsibility, um, we can build, you know, you know, we can really, and that's one of our jobs as leaders too, right. Is to build those people. So you're not going to go hire all those people everywhere. Right. But it's your job to help develop those things. And, uh, you know, I think, and, and then to your point, right. You know, if people see that, you know, uh, you know, Hey, especially in this day and age, you know, telling somebody, you know, Hey, this is your job. Be happy with it. Doesn't work. You know, we've, we've, we've progressed past that as people, which is great. So they've got to, they've got to run, want to run through a wall for you. And, you know, my greatest business mentor is still the owner of the, you know, still my boss, the CEO, Doug Clark and built, you know, built numerous companies, 76 years old. And as you know, took, you know, took a, you know, he really took a, you know, for whatever reason, saw something in me, help bring me up and develop me into where I'm at today. And we can still, I mean, heck this, you know, yesterday we were on a call for two hours and we argued with each other and we did whatever. And when we walk out, we're on the, you know, we're on the same team, but, uh, but I'd run through a wall for the guy because I know at the end of the day, if we are in front of everybody and even if it was my mistake and I knew it was my mistake, um, don't take ownership for it. Right. And, and hopefully my team see, you know, sees the same thing, right. We, you know, we, we treat it like a family. We are allowed to sit here and, you know, and debate with each other over things. You know, I don't ever want anybody who's just coming in agreeing with everything. Uh, uh, yeah, I think, you know, Jane Clark and, and maybe some of the other people that, that work with me, we do that. Hey, at the end of the day, I get to call the play when the huddle's broke. You know, you know, I take that thing, but then if, if, if I'm going to take that, if that's what I'm going to say in the room, in the, you know, in, in our, or a conference room or whatever, then boy, I better take the responsibility for it when, when it goes, you know, when it goes out.
1: Um, Absolutely. Now, you know, and, and uh, Dean, the fun thing about you is I've been around you in casual environments a lot. And, uh, and I seen you uh, do some amazing things to pay it forward. You know, that, you know, that you, you know, people have been great to you in, in the past, and that's why you're where you're at. You've worked hard, but people see in you what you like to see in other people now. And I You know, I, I'll never forget, uh, we had a conversation on the golf course about these, you know, great kids that caddy for us and all that. And one kid uh, didn't get the Evan Scholar. You know, we've got some Evan Scholars at, at our club that, that you and I play at, at Bull Valley. And, and we've got, uh, you know, a kid that's an amazing kid, hustling son of a guy. You know, he's the nicest kid in the world. And he's everywhere. You, you see him everywhere, whether he's on the course caddying or he's in, the, he's in the bag house doing that. <clears throat> and he's always hustling. <clears throat> and we, you know, we were talked about the fact that he wasn't going to have a scholar for whatever reason that was. And, and uh, you're like, hey, I, you know what, what does he, what does he like to do? We got in conversation with him. He wants to be a mechanic, right? A mechanic. Yeah. Wow. You know what? Uh, I got something for you. Right. So you ended up, uh, you, you know, you tell me a story a little more, but I know you, you ended up uh, putting this kid through school for mechanic right? or as a decent mechanic, I think, didn't you?
2: Well, I didn't do that. Um, so I'm not going to say, so it's Jose and, uh, and, and Jose is just a, just a great kid. And yeah, I'd found, you know, one of the big challenges in our industry and and probably yours too, I would imagine is finding, you know, good people who want to be truck drivers and mechanics. I mean, you know, this, this, pandemic you know has really shown i oh, i think america really recognizes how important that truck driver is which is oh, yeah. for, which has been for our industry and, and i couldn't be prouder of the of the mechanics and the drivers and how they've operated and, and and how they've worked under some really tough circumstances you know to keep making sure that the supply chain is is, is open in the u.s and and when you hear a a, a young guy like like jose who's you know uh has a real passion for it. Right. And I heard stories of him coming in early and fixing the equipment at Bull Valley. And this is what he wanted to do. Um, I didn't get him through anything. Um, but it's kind of, you know, the reason we all try, you know, we, we try all, you know, have, you know, cast as, as much of a, uh, um, you know, connect with as many people, I guess, as, as you can, uh, you know, to open up the opportunities. I just saw a great kid that I, that had a desire to be a mechanic that boy, I would love for him to be on our team someday. And, uh, uh, you know, I was aware of a scholarship that was available. Uh, I was aware of a school. Uh, and so I was, you know, I really just introduced him to other people and he made it happen. So he is in his second year as a scholarship recipient of the Trala truck rental leasing association, uh, industry scholarship, um, that I'm lucky to sit on the board of and, uh, and is doing great at U- UTI United technical, uh, Techno- technical Institute, I think, you know, yeah. in, uh, in Lyle and, uh, and by all means is doing great but uh you know he's earning it you know we just uh you know we just connected something just like you know just like you know i was lucky to meet up with with some people at some point in life who, who gave me opportunities
1: that you know um, so hey rob hey rob are you there still <clears throat> i am, I am. Okay, Rob, did you, hear, did you hear that uh this guy you know won't take credit for great things and uh you know he, uh, i was next to him when he when he took an interest in this kid like he talked about people taking interest in him how uh, he took an interest in this young man and, uh, and guided him. Yes. They, this kid's a hardworking kid and, and Dean's going to be blessed to have him on his team for sure. Right. But we the bottom line is he didn't do it for Dean. He didn't do this for Dean. Okay. And, uh, and, and he, you know, he, he gave them the, he gave an opportunity that not everybody sees or does. Right. That's, that's uh, what a great leader does. And, and that's what a selfless leader does. And Dean, shut up a minute. That's who you are, dude. Don't, don't deny me this, okay? That's who you are. You're, you're a selfish, selfless leader, and, and we don't have enough of those in the world. And, again, and, and I, I guarantee you, Jose is like in heaven. This kid's smart enough. He could have done anything, right? He's a smart kid, a hardworking kid. There's nothing this kid couldn't have done if he put his mind to it, but he, he really loves mechanical. He, lo- he really loves, I think, mean, diesel mechanics that we talked about. But how cool yeah. is that, right, Dean?
2: How well, it's great. That? I'll tell you, number one, it's the number one thing that, um, I I really, I mean, there's a million things I respect about you and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, most people would know me, no, I just wouldn't say anything if I didn't believe it. Um, but what you've done and how you put your money and your, and your time, which is, you know, even more important and your energy around programs that help mentor and lift people up and give people opportunities is, is, uh, is just something I really admire uh in you. Yeah, so, you know, meeting folks like you and just being a part of something you were trying to build, especially true mentors, you know, which 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 you know, we did a lot of great stuff there under your leadership and Quentin Quentin James, you know, uh there and I was just to be a part of it. But uh uh, you know, a lot of these things that we did was because you introduced me to somebody and you had a passion that I said I remember when you first, you know, invited me to something and I just was able to make it from the airport and uh, and I, it was right around when you're kicking off true mentors and uh it was just something that really hit home for me. So I you know, I wasn't doing half as much of that as, as I do today. And it was something that was spurred by by you, Gary, you know, by you, Gary. So, you know, we've had debates and, and we do those things, but we share a real passion for that and um uh, and given, you know, giving everybody an opportunity, you know, uh, hey, it's, you know, you, you still got to do it on your own. You can't have it given to you. Right. You, you, but you can be given the opportunity. What you do with the opportunity is going to d- determine how successful you are you know, or, or, or not. But, um, um, you know, the, the, the fact that you've opened so many doors for so many people is something I really respect. And uh, and I think you should be commended for.
4: I, pre- I appreciate that. I second that, Dean.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true i mean i can't even tell you how many people have been touched by gary Rabon. yeah him and sarah and really the whole family right no it's a great family
3: absolutely
2: yeah i hear you
4: robbie take yeah, it a- i got a couple questions questions already already written down for uh, our boy dean here Okay. Uh, my, my first one's actually going, going back to when you were in college and the transition from your freshman year mentality to your sophomore year mentality. And yeah. uh, uh, coming from my past experiences, I, I think I was in a very similar boat to you that uh, I yeah. placed a lot more emphasis on sports than I did education until yeah. later on in my life. And it was a huge change in just my daily routine, my perspective on life, as well as just like the approach to learning. So yeah. I'm curious to understand a little bit more in terms of what it was that you had changed moving from your freshman year to your yeah. sophomore year and how that how did that translate into your professional career?
2: No, it's great. Two things, um, two big things. You know, I talked about earlier uh, uh, an absolute fear of failure uh, that I have. And um, uh, and, and, uh, and that coupled with my father's um, position on responsibility and, and the fact that the college wasn't owed to me. Um, you know, that year of working, um, uh, concrete construction told me that, you know, hard physical labor wasn't what I wanted to do, um, you know, for a living. Um, I was, I never, uh, you know, whether or not it would have happened, I, I, 100% believed in my head that if I flunked out of school, I wasn't going to get a second chance. You know, I, I wasn't going to have one of the fathers who sent you back to junior college and then gave you, you know, sent you back off to, you know, to try it again. Uh, it was a one and done. And I was, you know, maybe okay. I matured a little bit and I, you know, I was lucky and, and, and recognized that. So it was really fear of failure. Then I tied that together with, um, I had a college roommate and I'll never forget his parents gave him some video on studying and, and not that I would ever sit down and watch this, but he put it in, on in our dorm room and I watched it and it just connected with me right away. Um, uh, I found out later in life, most other people, I don't know if they even called it, you know, ADD back then. Right. Um, you know, I think, you know, what they called it back then, especially with a Marine father and some of the teachers I had, is, is a lack of self discipline or self, you know, struggles with self behavior, um, you know, uh, or focusing. Uh, but I really, what, what I really also had was, uh, you know, at that time, I could really sit down and try and read something. And if I wasn't, if I didn't have a real interest in it, I could, you know, I could read that page five times and, and I, you know, I wouldn't remember a thing. Um, and and I, I had a hard time uh, doing that. And this video just really talked about, Hey, when you have a chapter assigned, um, instead of highlighting, you know, the things like that, write it out, you know, like, a like, a like a physical written outline that meant all the difference, that little, little piece changed my life from, from that ability because I still, if, if, you know, there's lots of things and there's great leaders who read stuff all the time, right. And they're insatiable about reading. And, you know, people send me articles and books and boy, if I just read it, if I really don't have a personal interest in it, I don't get it. Um, and, and, and I have a hard time paying attention or, or absorbing, you know, what I'm supposed to absorb. But when I sit down and I outline what's in it and I physically write it down, then I knew it. Um, and, and, you know, I would write that down and literally all I had to do was spend about Three or four hours the night before the test, go over those outlines, and I could go in and ace, you know, and ace it. But it was that physical fact of, of being forced to focus on writing, writing that down, um, that changed my ability to, you know, to study. And quite honestly, the, the crazy thing about it is I spent less time studying after that, um, just by instituting that, than I did before. Um, you know, when I was, you know, when I was flunking everything too. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, there were plenty of other reasons, you know, that I had a 1.4. I was I was great on the social circuit and uh, and my pickup basketball skills were at an all time high, you know, at the time. And, and I probably made maybe 50 percent of my classes, but um, really understanding, you know, that fear of being kicked out and not having another chance. And um, and that little piece that came from a little video um, were, were huge in, in you know, what, what kind of drove me through the last three, four years, at least, you know, school wise. You know, I don't know what it is. You know, having an office out of my house now for the last nine months, you know, most of the time it's great, but every once in a while they'll get to, I don't know if it's because somebody else in my house is doing something or, you know, yeah. somebody else, you know, other people have said, Hey, that, you know, if the neighborhood is, you know, all I don't know what those things are. There's people way smarter than me to figure out why it works sometimes great and why it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the Zoom people just, uh, they, they want to keep things interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They think we got it too good. It's amazing how fast Zoom just became a part of our nomenclature, right? Yeah, yeah. Somebody was saying how bad they felt for Skype. They're like, what happened to Skype? Yeah, well, you know, I I always wonder if Zoom's going to have, you know, such a bad connotation after, because almost everybody I talk to, and I'll I'll be, you know, honest with you, you know, I'm Zoomed out. (laughs) You know, and I'll, I'll be on another one this afternoon and another one. You know, I miss seeing people and but you know I just hear the word zoom now and I start to yeah, I start to get the shakes a little bit
3: yeah right <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: yeah so Dean we we're, uh, we're getting back I'm getting back to yep. have uh, you can hear me now okay yep I'm actually uh, pushing back for to get everything back to work here um, you know at our offices and uh, yeah. you know pushing my pushing Austin and our team leaders to get people back to work where, where they can you I mean you have some yep. people that know Can't get back to work because they got kids at home still because school's out, right? Tight, right? Yeah. Yep, and so we have our challenges, but we're going to be as compassionate as possible with yeah. those challenges. But you know, we want people back face to face and you know, get yeah. social distance where they need to, and all the right. We are
4: struggling with the Zoom right now, right? Mine ended up cutting out there too and, and logged, yeah. Out. Did I finish answering
2: your question for you, Robbie, while we wait for it? Yeah, that'd be
4: awesome. I was very
1: intrigued, I was bummed that it had cut out right when you're in the middle of it. I'm sorry about this, guys. <clears throat> Just oh, no so, anyway, yeah, so we, my goal is to get, you know, mine and Austin's goal is to get people back to work face to face as much as possible right. with, you know, with, with all the right uh, precautions and everything else because, uh, you know, yeah. we're confident that we're losing some of that, some of the culture that we, you know, we've worked so hard to build uh, with, yeah. with all the stuff.
2: Yeah. I, I couldn't agree. I'm, I'm really in the same boat, Gary. I think, um, you know, we, we, I'm really proud of the company. We really did great. Obviously the shops are open, you know, in, in, across, but we shut down the corporate office, uh, right around March 17th, you know, March 18th, you know, uh, when everything hit, uh, we were looking to reopen to some degree, you know, about a month or two ago. And then everything kind of, you know, for those who wanted to volunteer to come back and, and things of that nature. Um, I don't see it happening for us. Um, you know, I would love to have it done, Uh, you know,
1: maybe,
2: you know, February, March. I've always kind of used the the April 1st as the date, the realistic date in my head. And we'll we'll do the same thing. Uh, I've told anybody not to worry about it. Uh, The team has done great. I I, I couldn't be more proud of of the way they've continued to work and serve the members and our customers. Uh, We haven't missed a beat there. Um, But, um, you know, certainly I'm hoping by summer, everybody will be back. But, you know, I don't want anybody on our team to think that they're going to have a challenge between, you know, what's going on you know, with, with how the schools are being handled and things of that nature, because people have got, you know, you know, people have got issues, you know, people, you don't know what half your people are dealing with, whether it's somebody, a senior that's living with them, that they're taking care of a a parent or, you know, or the children there. So we're going to give all of our people, all the flexibility in the world to where, you know, to where everybody can, you know, has the resources again, to handle it the way they, they, they need to, but um, I'm, you know, I'm nervous. You know, I, I think we're missing that, you know, we're missing that as well. I'm, I'm afraid we're losing touch with customers, uh, with, with opportunities and, and, and again with each other. So I can't wait. And as, as you probably know, I'm not a sit in my office kind of guy. I love getting out, getting in the field, you know, as you call it, walking the ship, right. And, uh, seeing our customers and seeing our people and seeing our locations, Um uh, I've been on one, you know, one trip. I'm going to Kalamazoo next week for a uh, for a meeting with. Uh, uh, that's good, and I can't wait, you know, to do it. And uh, and I think our salespeople and everybody, we need to get out now. I'm not, I'm not really. I'm putting together our budget right now for 2021. Uh, I don't see that happening really until April, but boy, we need to do it as, as soon as it's safe and, and human, you know, humanly possible. I'd probably go out sooner than anybody else. We've actually had a couple of meetings where our customers wanted us to come and then they canceled it, either because there were regulations in their area or, or what have you. But um, we need to get back. You know, uh, as I always say too, right? I think you and me agree on this. Um, unemployment in a poor economy is really unhealthy too, and and I think there's a way to do this that takes. You know, takes into account both. You know, I don't most even call them both health ep- epidemics, right? You know, a poor, a bad economy is a health epidemic, and we got another epidemic. And and uh, uh, you know, I'm hoping that that we're getting closer to managing those two in a way that that you know takes into account you know you know that happy medium that that, that handles both you know both issues that we're facing right now. And we lost.
4: Yeah, I think we may have lost them too. Um, but going on that note, while you're while you're prepping for 2021. How yeah. are you looking at that that forecast and budget? Are in are what types of macroeconomic
2: factors are you really accounting for while you're building that out?
1: Yeah, well, to to, to
2: properly answer that, I'll tell you a little bit about what we did uh, when this hit. We we really took you know we took two different mindsets uh, or, or focuses. We certainly focused on their survival of the business and the viability of the business over you know over this time period that we're in right now. Like I say, I've always kind of had the idea of April first. Um, next, you know, of 22nd quarter when we really get back to it. So we really skinnied up the company. We did the right things that we had to do, cutting expenses, cutting, you know, obviously travel ban, things of that nature, Um, you know, to the point that there's real well, we'll end up, you know, we'll end up doing, we'll end up doing pretty well, um, you know, uh, for 2020. Um, But we also decided to really spend some time investing in strategic initiatives and trying to figure out what our opportunity was. And that was the mindset we wanted to have. What's the opportunity that's in this for us? How we, when we come out of COVID, uh, what's National East's place in the world, and what's the opportunity for us? And we really, you know, work on a couple of strategic initiatives, a lot from a digital technology capability standpoint, um, that we're ready to roll out, and and we'll be rolling out in the next couple of months. That we were able to put a lot of time and effort into that that I think are going to be, uh, you know, places that position us to really grow when this, you know, when when the time comes, um, uh, which I think is coming coming pretty soon uh you know truck orders if you follow those things like I do and and the truck rental market is through the roof right now uh you know now a lot of that stuff will slow down after Christmas but um but we're really doing you know we're really doing so those signs that I look at as to when the economy is going to come back are really starting to come into place now I think the next quarter is is going to be one that we're going to have to survive through but I think April 1st um you know, really, you know, I'm hoping that things will come to thrive and we've spent a lot of time preparing ourselves for that time. And then, you know, in our world, looking down the road for the next big, uh, you know, the next big change and what our, uh, you know, the, the next big influencer, which for us is, is really, uh, you know, the electric truck, uh, you know, different, different types of different types of energy and uh, and, and some other government regulations around environmental Pieces that are going to really affect our industry, and you know, and how a truck is made, what it's powered by, and how it's maintained, and uh, and so we're really spending a lot of time on, on those initiatives right now, and you know, and, and uh, you know, preparing ourselves for you know, quote unquote, life after COVID.
4: Right. Yeah, that, that was actually a perfect answer. My follow up question was going to be an interest around like the systematic changes that you'll have to make moving forward, but ultimately maybe for the better um, to make your business better off in the long term but sounds like that's electric vehicles as well as like a digital landscape. Uh, Is that really what the two biggest trends that you're seeing from uh, the buyer side of the market in terms of their
2: appetite for uh, aligning together? I I think so. You know, the question is going to be exactly, you know, who the winners, you know, become in this race for the electric truck. Um, You know, I don't think, I don't think the electric truck and everything's going to hit as fast as some people do, but you better be talking now in our industry, there's an, there's an emissions, Uh, mandate that's that's due in 2027 that's going to completely change the truck you know uh, again to another level and i think it's going to help spear the electric truck Uh, but really building on that uh, you know building on that infrastructure uh, there's a lot more behind them than just building the truck right you have to change the entire infrastructure that supports trucks in in north america and wherever to be able to handle it you got to have charging stations Um, that don't take a half a day, you know, and don't suck up the entire grid, right? I mean, you're talking about not just a couple people having Tesla's in your neighborhood. You're talking about every truck you see on the road, you know, potentially, you know, meeting these mandates, you know, somewhere down the road. So there's a lot of infrastructure and working on that truck, how you you staff and train your people, how you, you know, what your shop looks like, the firewalls that you have to have in place to, to handle this, you know, type of equipment um, is, is a game changer and it's not going to happen overnight. And so, uh, you got to start preparing for it. And, and in our world, we're really trying to figure out what our you know, uh, our unfair advantage is going to be in, in that area and, uh, in, in putting that together. So, uh, and you have to be talking about those things today. Um, you know, it's not going to flip overnight, but you but, you know, you're going to have to prepare for it because it, it's a lot more than just buying an electric truck. It's it, it's having an, an entire system and infrastructure behind it to support it, right? Right. Yeah, and on a
4: national scale, that is no joke. Uh-huh. And I'm sure that you've seen this topic uh, come up consistently, but along the exact same lines, I guess I'm I'm curious to understand your thoughts around the. Uh, autonomy, uh, mixed with the electric vehicles, uh, specifically electric trucks.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, you know, you, you know, we could get into a whole conversation on government regulation and insurance, you know, and things of that nature. There's going to be, you know, just like everything else, there's going to be some factors. Um, you know, you know, some of the technology is there today, right? I mean, you, you can do some of those things today, but I, I think the biggest challenge for the autonomous side of it, um, is really, you know, when are we going to, you know, I, I think our industry really did a disservice. Um, uh, and at first we, we kept calling it the driverless truck. Um, and when you, you know, and then you start talking about jobs and, and people have fear, you know, as to, you know, what's, what's going to happen. You know, you know, some people, you know, the fear of a robotic society, um, right. And that's not even really what it is. You know, the autonomous truck, you know, has a lot of capabilities, a lot of information, you know, um, know to do it a lot of safety you know a lot of safety advantages but you know people um have this idea of you know trucks without drivers you know hauling down you know you know running you know out of control down the road um you know so i think we're going to have to do a lot of work on that um and and having everybody feel comfortable you know with what with what that looks like um you know before the autonomous truck comes you know you know you know on the road but you know, certainly there's, you know, there's, you know, you know, we're also talking about that. We have a big driver shortage in in everything too. And, uh, and things of that nature, we've got, you know, different insurance challenges that 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 certainly can help. And, and, uh, you know, we've we've got a world where our, you know, our, 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 our industry has really got some challenges getting the insurance coverages that we need at affordable prices, you know, to continue to operate trucks on the road. Um, because, you know, they do have accidents, things do happen. Um, so I, you know, I, I think, you know, I think they're both kind of coming. I think the technologies are hand in hand. I'm not on the forefront. You know, I'm, I'm a lot like you guys trying to learn it. I've got some meetings next week, you know, around this stuff and and hearing what the technologies are, you know, the biggest challenge for us is who's going to win, you know, who's going to come out of it uh, uh, and and partnering with those right folks and, and, you know, and then timing it, you know, for those kind of issues. But I think, the autonomous piece is really going to be a challenge and that's going to be one that's going to be, you know, handled more in the, you know, in the government arena because um, the technology's there and it's, and it's, and it's going to be there, you know, shortly, you know, when are we going to allow it on the, on the roads is, is my biggest question.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree too. And I think the biggest thing there that at least that I've seen so far is like you said, it's not necessarily driverless. You're still going to need a human in the car at the end of the day, but it's yep. being able to maximize the, the number of hours that you can actually be on the road, right? Because right now there's a, a pretty significant limitation in terms of the number of hours or miles that your drivers can yep. go in a day. So maybe that's the lift and maybe it just provides more efficiency in the, the supply chain.
2: It's definitely the lift. It's going to be the, you know, it's going to be the efficiency and, it, and it's going to be the safety. I mean, if, 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 if there's really a huge reason to do that, and make it make that kind of an investment. Um, it's around safety, you know, what's, you know, what's, what's the safest, most cost effective way to run your operation. And that's, you know, and that's one thing I think everybody, you know, aspires, you know, aspires to nobody's looking to take people out of work. It's one of the, you know, one of the things, you know, it's, it's one of the things that drives the economy, right? People need to be working and, uh, um, you know, but people, I think need to, you know, I would tell my kids or kids there, you know, you need to be, you know, you need to try and find as have as much flexible flexibility and adaptability because technology changes so fast that the job you may think you're doing uh, may become obsolete, you know, in a couple of years before there's going to be another job. You know, we, we, you know, we talk about this thing, but we just came off pre COVID, you know, you know, maybe, you know, the, maybe, you know, the, the depending on you believe the best employment numbers, you know, this country's ever, you know, this country's ever seen. Uh, we've taken on a lot of technology, a lot of automation, but boy, everybody who wanted to work for the most part was working. Um, and so I think those things have to happen. But I think people need to have a mindset of adaptability that, you know, you're not going to go do the same job for 30 years, like maybe my father, you know, my father did, you know, you know, in some worlds and, uh, you know, making yourself as flexible and adaptable as you can having that kind of a liberal arts mindset, you know, is, is going to be really valuable over the next generation.
4: All right. Yeah. And I think that goes right back to what you were saying, ironically, uh, in that transition from your freshman to sophomore year, it's learning how, how can you more effectively learn in the shortest period of time possible uh, yeah. with the best return on that investment of what you're studying, right?
2: Yeah. It's, you know, it's uh, Hey, you know, I, I think it, it comes into like, you know, another saying my father used to say, right. You know, a man must know his limitations. You know, my dad said that to me, I can't tell you how many times, I don't know where he got it from. Uh, but it's true. And, uh, you know, you play, you know, I say I tell my children, you know, we, we play to our strengths and, and we try and, you know, we, we try and build up our, you know, build our weaknesses before you really better know who you are. And, and that's, um that's one thing that, you know, you learn over time or whatever. And that's probably the biggest thing, you know, I probably learned, you know, I learned a lot about myself. I, you know, I, I don't think I was absolutely, you know, medically diagnosed with add until i was in my early 40s and uh, and it was a powerful statement to then because then i could really figure out who i was why i thought the way i was did you know and uh and and manage those things and not only just manage them but make them a you know, something that could be debilitating, make it into a, you know, make it into a, you know, one of my greatest strengths. And and if you understand it, and if you understand what they are, and you, you learn how to manage it, take advantage of, of you know, that's that's a that's a really powerful position. And that's when your self confidence, you know, really, you know, really right. starts to take off, right? Right. Yeah, it's
4: a it's a competitive advantage. <laughs> it's yeah. like
2: cheating. <laughs> you know it, it it really is it really is i was really lucky to do it i ended up having a you know a coach you know uh you know and i'm a big believer in that uh, you know m- mentors personal coaches you know people that hold you accountable and, and that can that can teach you those things whether they're in your family it's a professional relationship you have um you know those are really important you know those are really important things and i had somebody who really taught me you know hey you know this isn't something that's debilitating you know this is you know call it a superpower or whatever, you've got, you've got an opportunity to, to, to use this. Uh, but you got to figure out how to, you know, you got to figure out how to manage it and you know, use it for goodness, not badness. Right. Yeah. Yeah,
4: exactly. Uh, yeah. well, just to basically shift gears for a minute here and then I think we're running a little bit short on time and I want to be respectful of your time. Yeah. Uh, I I'm curious, you, you had talked about the three traits that you look for in potential hires. Uh, so uh, along that same line, uh, I'm interested in understanding a bit more about the culture and and how you went through actually implementing that and then making sure that you're holding the team accountable to it.
2: Yeah, no, that's a, uh, uh, that's a good question. You know, um, you know, a lot of these things, I think sometimes, at least for me, just kind of happened organically. You know, I, I, I'd love to say, Hey, I had a five, 10 year plan. I've got all these written processes, but that's, that's, you know, those were never my strengths. I was a sales, you know, I grew up through the sales ranks, you know, in the industry um, you know, building on relationships, um, and, uh, and, and, and having mutually beneficial relationships was something that I, uh, that, that I really focused on. And, and if you had those win-win type of operations, you know, then, then you know, then, then the business was going to grow. Right. Um, so it's something that I just kind of, you know, it, it's something that I just kind of, you know, kind of grew into. And, um, and those were the kinds of people I really wanted to be around. I love a good debate, um, too. So, somebody who had the self-confidence um, and, uh, and I was going say, you know, my executive team, we'll shut the door and we'll go at it. Um, you know, now when we, when it's over, we'll, you know, we hug it out and, and walk out the door together and it's not personal. Um, but it's having that kind of open line of communication. And, and if you have people around you who, you know, take personal responsibility, they're, they're they have perseverance. So they're not going to give up on something. If they think it's the right thing we should be doing and if they have the self-confidence to say it right and you've got something really, really powerful, um, you know, to walk out of there and that's how you really generate great ideas. And there's lots of great ideas in lots of companies, but I don't know if they always, you know, if they always, you know, come out, you know, because, you know, because of whatever reason, but, you know, having that kind of family type of culture, um, where, you know, we, we win together, we lose together, we fight, you know, we, you know, we love each other. Um, you know, that's where I want to go to work every day and, uh, and, and I think uh, and I think that brings out the best in a lot of folks. So, hey, you know, we get ideas, you know, great ideas throughout the entire organization. But they got you got to have that kind of a, you know, that family culture where, hey, anybody at the kitchen table can say what they want to say on Thanksgiving. Right. And somebody else is going to probably yeah. challenge, them. you know, and that's how my family works anyway. And, uh, uh, and it's going to go back. But boy, at the end of the day, whether you even agree with everything or not, you really probably learn something. Is, you know, because people are talking about what they're passionate about because they feel they have an open forum and that's the culture, you know, that I, that I really feel that I really want to be a part of that, that, uh, that I, you know, that I try and have, you know, in, a, in our organization.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I think it speaks volumes too, because uh, right now I think that it's come more to light and more companies are starting to recognize the importance of it, but diversity of thought, diversity of background uh, of race and ultimately up, up levels the organization. Uh, and it, it's Im- impressive and inspiring to see that you're actually living and breathing that already.
2: No, it's, it's great. I mean, and, and Hey, if, if you don't have it, you're going to lose, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be up because it's, you know, the diversity across you know the world, which, you know, in a lot of, you know, 2020 has been a challenge but so you know there's been some great things that have that have come out of it too and recognizing that but then also you know recognizing everybody we've served is you know it all you know we all look the same you know you know we're the same you know most people want you know want the same thing right they want a better life for themselves and for their family and for their children and that's something that we all share no matter where we came from and if you just kind of you know go through that and recognize that um you know, Hey, there's no way you're going to have the answers for everything. And somebody else's life experience in the, you know, from the diversity that they bring brings a whole other way of thought, Um, you know, boy, you know, at the end of the day, you meld all that kind of stuff together. And if you, if you have somebody kind of representing all the different areas, you know, on your team, um, there's not a lot you're going to miss, right? You know, then it's just your job as a leader to pick the right idea and and, and pick the right one to work on. Unfortunately, you can't work on them all. Right. But, but the more you have to choose from, you know, gives you, you know, hopefully you pick the right ones to focus on and, and, and implement. So.
4: Right. And I think it ties right back into uh, your business's number one, uh, really competitive advantage or focus is the serviceability and the ability to actually solve your customers pain points and provide that level of support that they're looking for. And because you have these diverse backgrounds all coming together, you're ultimately, you know, ultimately able to solve those more effectively.
2: Right. That's a huge part of our culture. I mean, our tagline, which has been it, you know, forever. So the company 77, you know, going on its 77th year right now, uh, founded here in Chicago, um, national connections, local ownership, and that's our tagline. And I'm not usually a big fan of those things, but that one stuck with me. And quite honestly, we've left it alone. Um, you know, since I've been here, which is what, 2006, uh, with the, uh, with the company. Um, but that's you know that's it. It's it's having those connections, being able to take care of and 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 help our customers fulfill the promise to their customers uh, by being able to support them from coast to coast, um, but also doing it with you know that highest level of service that I think you can only get with a family-run type of business. You know that has family values uh, and uh, and people who know the nuances and can customize a solution in their local area, you know, in, in the areas that they service and that, that are also invested in those places. I mean, our, you know, our members are, you know, they're community leaders. They're, they're involved in charity. They're involved in, you know, they're involved in the economy and they have a real, um, passion for, you know, for, 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 you know, making where they are, you know, or the, 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 the towns that they're in as, as great as they can. So they're, they're invested in it, you know, and, uh, um, that's a real tough thing. You know, I've worked for, for three companies in, in my life, one, a wall street run, you know, big box, uh, company, great company, learned a lot from them. Um, but boy, the one thing that, that I, I think we've got, or, or this kind of area, or like even I go back to the ACE hardware, right. You know, ACE hardware has is that high level of service that you get from a family run entrepreneurial mindset kind of business. And, and, uh, uh our ability to, to tie those, two things together, you know, the purchasing power, the connections, the ability to handle somebody over multiple locations um, with that family type of service is, is a tough, is a tough combination to beat. Yeah.
4: Yeah. National connections and local ownership. I like that. Yeah. 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 It makes sense why that stayed around as long as it has. It's so universal.
2: Well, I remember there was a time where some folks in our marketing department, you know, right around probably like 2008, wanted to change it. And, you know, and, and, and quite honestly, uh, there was, you know, myself and I remember another I was in national sales representative at the time. And another guy really kind of led a fight against it and said, no, this is it. You know, when I go sit in front of a customer and tell our story, this is it, you know, this, you know, unless you can come up with something that, that explains who we are better than that. And I haven't been able to think of it in, in 14 years. Uh, then that's, that's who we are. And, and we want to celebrate that. Yeah, if you can summarize the,
4: the position of your business and actually execute on that in four words, uh, it's
2: pretty tough to beat. Yeah, right. Right. Got to make it. Got to have that elevator speech, right? Got to make something quick that, that resonates you yeah. know, pretty fast because yeah. we all have attention. Most of us have some kind of a, attention uh, disorder, right?
4: Yeah, big time. Uh, you might only get about two, two uh, stories in an elevator with that one, but that's,
2: right. that's what you neat. Well, you know, the idea is to get somebody interested so that they want to spend some more time with you. Right. And then you can really, t- then you can really tell your story. And then at the end of the day, it's about execution. It's, you know, um, not right. get here, we haven't been here for 77 years because, um, you know, these family businesses out there, um, you know, that are part of the national ecosystem system aren't out there, uh, providing a great service, you know, to, uh, you know, to our customers and our, and, and at the end of the day, our customers, customers, um, uh, and, uh, and, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's proven effective. And, and I think, uh, I think that's one thing that's not going to change. Absolutely.
4: Well, Dean, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we're beyond blessed to have you on. And I'm sure if Gary were here, he'd be sharing the same and then some. Yeah. Uh, but we usually, we usually like to end episodes with uh, like takeaways for our listeners. So yeah. I have four takeaways today. Uh, so I'll I'll run through them quick and, uh, be curious just to get your thoughts on it after, and then, uh, we can part ways. So the the first one actually was from the beginning of our conversation and I I really liked it. And I think that it's important for all of us to keep top of mind is, uh, that you're a product of the people that are the five people that you spend the most time with, or, uh, ultimately you're surrounded by those five individuals. Yeah. Uh, And so like the asterisk, the asterisk that I like to have on the back end of that is choose those wisely. Uh, both yeah. professionally, personally, uh, ultimately, those are the individuals that shape your reality and, and the perceptions that you have on the world. So make sure that you're, you're very intentional in the way that you approach that. Yeah. The, the second one that I have is uh, something that I took away from the, I'm going to use the mantra of don't tip the barrel uh, that yeah. you had mentioned early, <laughs> early on in your career. Uh, and and really the takeaway that I have for that are is that mistakes are always going to happen, uh, but it's more importantly, how you respond to those mistakes and continue moving forward as a team. So I think the underlying that I took away from that was (laughs) obviously it was a a 12 pack of beer that you'd have to buy for uh, that Friday for your team, but it's that you made a mistake and there's no one driving you into the ground for that mistake. It's still coming together at the end of the day and really, understanding that moving forward, you're still one team with one goal. Right. Uh, so the third is identifying top talent or talent aligned with uh, your organization. Uh, and I loved the three traits that you mentioned. So self-confidence, uh, a sense of personal responsibility and, and perseverance. And it's a, a difficult thing to find, but when you do, I, I completely agree. I think it, it leads to the highest amount of success or the highest probability of success. If you can find those traits in individuals. Yeah. And the last one is uh, difficult times create lasting businesses. And I think it's important to understand the way that you ultimately assess the situation, place your people first, and then continue to solve your clients' problems. And I think you guys have executed on that uh, based on this conversation incredibly well.
2: Yeah. Well, no, um, that's, that's great. So I'm glad you actually were able to come up with four things of value um, from, uh, from today, but, uh, but th- they're ones and they, uh, so I'm glad we got it out because th- they are important to me. I mean, that, that product of five people, if I look at the times and, and, uh, the times in my life and I was doing really well and I was doing all the right things, um, you know, well, I look at the five people I was spending my most time with and, uh, and they were there. When I look at the times I might've, might've been falling off that thing and who I was hanging out with you know um you know i didn't do either one of them alone right <laughs> you know i'll put it that, I'll, I'll put it right. that way <laughs> um but um but 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 that that's really important um you know and uh and, and if you can kind of put together an organization with all the kind of people you know that so everybody in your is working with five people who are really good people boy you know everybody's going to continue to lift each other up so so i think that's you know that that's really important um uh, you know the the one piece I'll bring out. You say you know, it's called it don't tip the barrel, um, right? Um, you know, there's one piece that, and, and I don't know why I get frustrated with this. Maybe it's the old athlete and me. I always you know keep hearing these things. You see him on LinkedIn, right? That um, there's no such thing as foul failure, and uh, you know there's you know you always learn something, and and I always disagree with that, and you know maybe a lot of folks disagree with me on it because I think there is failure, uh, but you know, but failure doesn't mean death, um, you know. You know, as long as, as long as, you know, you, you're going to fail, you're going to lose, but you can't accept it and, and you can't like it. Uh, and it's not okay. Uh, now what you do with it is going to, you know, the only thing that really matters is what you're going to do next. Uh, and, and maybe again, maybe it's just driving me, maybe it's a little harsh, but uh, I think there is failure. I think there is losing. I don't think they should be accepted and, and, and you're going to move on. Can you make something positive out of it? Can you say, Hey, that that ended up being something good not so much the loss that actually made it much better. It's what you did after the loss that made it better. Um, and, and give yourself credit give yourself credit for that. But, um, uh, yeah, mistakes happen, right. Um, don't make them over and over again. Um, you know, certainly don't make the same one twice. Um, uh, that's, you know, that's a big thing. Your ID and top talent, I mean, you know, certainly, and the self-confidence, responsibility, perseverance, boy, you know, uh, try and teach it to my kids. Uh, you know, I've got, you know, I've got two kids, uh, my daughter, Riley, uh, she's certainly stronger. Uh, she she has a, in a tremendous amount of personal responsibility, tremendous amount of perseverance, and, and as she's starting her career, she's working her way to that self-confidence, you know, where, where she's comfortable, she's very self-confident. Um, but, the, you know, she always had that responsibility side of it. But the self-confidence part, you know, while she was growing up was, was something she worked into. You know, my son was the exact opposite, right? He had all the perseverance and the self-confidence in the world. But he's really struggled with that personal responsibility. And he'll, he'll laugh, you know, if he hears me say this. because We're still working on that with him. But uh, but they're all there. But, boy, if you, if you get those people and you tie that and you make, uh, you make the five people you have have those three things, too, boy. Um, you know, some of the stuff really, you know, really, really goes together. And then, then when you get into difficult times, right? Well, I, 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 I am so blessed to have the team, uh, Jane Clark, Joe Gallick, Joe Puff, the mentors that I have, Doug Clark, my father, uh, you know, and people like Gary and, and my YPO group and forum around me. Um, to have that kind of group, you know, that, that gives that, that allows you to really go into something. And, and, you know, it's a difficult time. We all knew we were going in it, but boy, these people around me, all we really kept talking about and it kept you out of it. You could get down in the dumps. was what's our opportunity, you know, in this, and it's not just an opportunity to go make money. It's an opportunity to serve. It's an opportunity, you know, to, to, to take care of our customers, to take care of people. And, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of, you know, to be in the transportation industry because, I think everybody's got to see firsthand how important, how vital it is. And it's, it's those drivers and mechanics that we have in our system that kept food supplies going, medical supplies. You know, th- this country is about to take on, the world is about to take on the greatest logistical um, challenge that it's ever faced, right? And getting these things out. And uh, uh, I certainly, we stand ready to help. I, I am certain that, that we are going to you know, be a part of this. Our customers are going to be a part of this. Um, and getting vaccines, you know, a, a, across the board and, and the supply chain is, is so important and to be around these people who, you know, who are really on the ground doing it and supporting them every day, um, uh, is, uh, is, is great. And, and, and those, you know, it's a bunch of people who have those, those same three, you know, things that, uh, that we talked about that can persevere in a time like this. So, uh, you know, it's probably a little long winded, but, you know, I, you know, I love the four, I wrote them down that, that you got out of this too. and uh, and, uh, and that. The great conversation today. I was just so happy to be a part of it.
4: Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything you guys are doing right now, obviously too. Uh, but Hey, we appreciate it. Uh, well, I hope Thanks you guys. So can much can make enjoy something. Ditch Digger.
2: Yeah, no, being on Ditch Digger was a, uh, uh, you know, it was a dream of mine <laughs> since Gary told me about it. <laughs> uh, but I absolutely, uh, I absolutely had a ball doing it. I hope you guys can get something out of this. That, that is, uh, that, that's uh, that's valuable for other people or at least entertaining for the folks on it. And uh, um, you know, you guys, you know, you guys were great. and I had a lot of fun today.
4: Yeah. Thanks a bunch. It's been a pleasure to meet you. Hopefully in person.
1: If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com for show notes, links, video clips and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at DitchDiggerCEO. And at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you
0: next week. Lord, I was called this nigga man, paying for a living and doing the best I can. Discovered entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. We're blessed to build a business in America, where soldiers fight for our freedom every day. Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck, rolling down Highway 31. Lord, I was called to stick of man. Best I can discovered entrepreneurship, scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man.